For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been improved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Anna and Dennis, keep your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians 2, if you would. We're continuing our sermon series today through the book of 1 Thessalonians And uh, in this sermon series, uh, what we're doing is we are paying attention uh, to the basics of our faith. We're getting back to the basics here, if you will. In the passage which Anna just read, we learn about basic Christian ministry. Recently, I heard something about Christian ministry that honestly kind of made me cringe. It was a clip of a message about Christian leadership. It was delivered to a group of church planters and pastors in 2007. The speaker was Mark Driscoll, who was a pastor of a well-known large mega church called Mars Hill. At that time, uh, their weekend attendance was, I think, somewhere around 10,000 people each week or maybe more than that. 
The day before he delivered these comments, Pastor Mark Driscoll had just fired two of his church's key leaders because they raised concerns about changes that they were making in the church's governance. Here's the quote of what Pastor Mark Driscoll said to teach people how to do Christian ministry. He explained it like this. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. And by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or get run over by the bus. Those are the only options. But the bus ain't going to stop. This is what we're doing. You don't just do this when you're church planting or replanting. I'm doing it right now. Mark Driscoll boldly explains to this gathering of church leaders. I heard that and it made me cringe. Is that really how Christian leadership is supposed to work like a bus that runs over people who ask questions? It wouldn't have been surprising to hear business leadership experts in 2007 talk about how you can grow an organization in this kind of way. Either you're on board with the mission and vision or you're off the bus. That wouldn't have been surprising to hear kind of worldly business leadership experts talking that way in 2007 in America. But is the church supposed to work like that? Even if it works? Even if you can gather a crowd of 10,000 or 15,000 people leading like that? Is that how ministry is supposed to be done? And in case we think this is just an isolated issue related to Mark Driscoll, it's not. Whether it is kind of family-centered leaders like Bill Gothard, or megachurch leaders like James McDonald, or famous smart people like Ravi Zacharias, or even young, restless, and reformed people like Mark Driscoll, it turns out that many leaders in church circles in America have been leaving a trail of wounded people behind their ministry buses. So as a result, when people say to me that they're tired of the evangelical church, Or when people say that they've been burned by church experiences in the past. Or when people say that they're deconstructing their faith. I don't start by scolding them. I start by saying, I get it. To whatever degree... Your understanding of Christianity was shaped by people who are intentionally leaving a trail of wounded people behind their ministry bus. To whatever degree your understanding of Christianity has been shaped by that, I hope you can deconstruct some of those ideas and get back to what God's Word actually teaches about the gospel and ministers of the gospel, and how ministry is meant to be done in gospel-centered churches. My question today is this, 
What does Christian ministry look like? As we grow and mature together as a church family, how do we want our leaders to do ministry? What expectations should we have for those in leadership here in this church family? And beyond that, as we grow and mature as a church, what do we want one another ministry to look like? As you are equipped as a part of this church family, and if you are a believer in Jesus and you're a part of this fellowship, we hope that you are being equipped to be involved in church ministry yourself. And so as you're being equipped as a minister of the gospel, what should your ministry look like? As we ask those questions, I want to draw our attention back to this letter called 1 Thessalonians, one of the earliest letters, one of the earliest books in the New Testament. It was written by Paul and Silas and Timothy, a missionary team who had just planted a church in Thessalonica, modern-day Thessaloniki in Greece. They planted that church only a matter of months earlier. And this this world-changing missionary team here in this passage that we're looking at today, they describe their own philosophy of ministry. They describe how they understand what it looks like to do Christian ministry. And I want to pay attention to what it looks like in a biblical perspective. What it looks like according to the New Testament. What God wants it to look like as we do gospel ministry ourselves. And I want to pay attention to four key ingredients in basic Christian ministry. The first key ingredient I want to draw your attention to is genuine humility. What does it look like? What should it look like to do gospel ministry? It should involve genuine humility. We see that in verses 1 through 6. And for the sake of time today, I just want to admit up front, we won't have time to dig into every fascinating detail in this kind of longer passage. I'm going to have to leave some of these things for you to discover and enjoy in your own personal reading or some of these things for you to discover and enjoy maybe in your small group discussions of this passage later this week. But as you just kind of skim your eyes over verses 1 through 6, notice the way that this missionary team, Paul and Silas and Timothy, how they describe the importance of genuine humility in their own philosophy of ministry. In verse 2, they point out that although their missionary team had suffered greatly for proclaiming Christ prior to coming to Thessalonica, they kept on proclaiming Christ in Thessalonica. That's genuine humility of a certain sort, isn't it? I know I'm going to suffer for this, and yet I'm going to suffer in doing this for your sake, willingly. In verses 3 and 4, the missionary team is careful to say that they speak not to impress people, but to please God. In verse 5, they say, we didn't bring the most flattering message to you. We didn't do this in a way that would make a lot of money for us. No, out of genuine humility, they came and they spoke the truth straight up, not flattering people. And they spoke it even 
at great cost to themselves. And in verse 6, they insist we were not seeking glory from people. It's a hook that catches some of our hearts, right? How often do we have an interest in ministry or an interest in serving, which is not so much based on actually trying to help other people as it is just based in trying to get some kind of recognition for ourselves, right? You see, what this missionary team is describing about basic Christian ministry is that one of the key ingredients is this issue of genuine, lived out integrity and holiness and humility. Genuine humility was important in early Christian leadership and it remains important in Christian ministry across the course of Christian history. A few hundred years ago, when the global evangelical movement was just kind of being born and just kind of launching, there was a leader named John Wesley. Uh, His ministry led to thousands and thousands of Methodist churches being planted in various parts of the world. And one time, another man came to John Wesley asking him how he could become more effective in ministry. Why isn't my ministry as effective as yours? What can I do was essentially the kinds of questions this other man was asking him. And John Wesley cut, cut, cut the issue straight with him. He said, your temper is uneven. You lack love for your neighbors. You grow angry too easily. Your tongue is too sharp. And thus... People will not hear you. What's John Wesley pointing out? An essential ingredient in Christian ministry is not just having a bunch of head knowledge that we can fire at other people. An essential element of Christian ministry is having a life that is characterized by genuine humility. Not a sharp temper, but a genuine concern for others' interests. Not insisting on our own way, but insisting on serving others for their benefit. In Christian ministry, there is no substitute for humility. How do we get there? We learn genuine humility through enlisting ourselves in the school of grace. We don't get there just by kind of, kind of thinking, okay, now humility is the thing I'm going to be better at than everybody else. <laughs> we get there by just enlisting ourselves as ordinary students in the school of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there's a professor named Brian Chapel, a Presbyterian seminary professor who has taught Many people how to preach Christ-centered sermons. And listen to what Professor Brian Chappell describes about the importance of integrity and humility in Christian ministry. He puts it like this. While it's certainly true that a life of consistently hidden or unrepentant sin makes a poor vehicle for the gospel. And let's pause on that for one second. A life of consistently hidden sin does make a poor vehicle for the gospel. 
In other words, if there are sins that are hidden in your life, one of the first things you can do toward becoming more effective in Christian ministry is to open those things up with others. But what Brian Chappell is going to get at here is something further. Sometimes we say, look, I've got no disgraceful sins in my life, so I'm okay, right? Notice what Brian Chappell says. Well, it's certainly true that a life of consistently hidden or unrepentant sin makes a poor vehicle for the gospel. It's equally true that pride in one's moral superiority is damaging to the communication of faith in Christ alone. You must know grace to preach it. No matter how great your words, you are unlikely to lead others closer to God if your heart does not reflect the continuing work of the Savior in your life. So here we have yet another testimony. The recent testimony of a Presbyterian professor speaking about the importance of humility. And integrity in Christian ministry. The testimony of the Methodist founder John Wesley speaking about the importance of integrity and humility. We could dig all through church history, the writings of Athanasius and Augustine and so forth, all confirming what we find here at the very origin of the Christian mission itself. As this missionary team says, You want to know what characterized our ministry to you? Genuine humility characterized the way we lived among you. And to be sure, there is a little bit of 1 Thessalonians 2, which is this missionary team trying to explain or maybe even defend their ministry. You can almost hear the criticisms in the background of this text. Maybe they just came to get rich off of us. Maybe they're just out to get a lot of applause. They're just stuck on their own ego. That's why they travel from city to city preaching Christ. Maybe their motives are really just self-centered. You can always hear echoes of criticisms. And maybe there's a little bit of explaining themselves. But they aren't writing this just to explain or defend themselves. They're writing this also to equip the members of this church to do this kind of ministry to one another. How do I know that? Because that's what they say later on in the letter. Flip over with me for just one second to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. A few months after the missionary team has left town, they're writing this letter back. And one of their goals in writing this letter back to this congregation is not just to say, believe us. It's to equip them, the members of the church family, to keep doing ministry themselves. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brothers, all of y'all. We're urging you to admonish the idle. We're urging you to encourage the faint-hearted. We're encouraging you to help the weak. And we're urging you to be patient with them all. You see, as the missionary team writes back, they're not just kind of submitting, kind of, here's our philosophy of ministry for future reference. This philosophy of ministry that begins with the importance of genuine humility is submitted to the local church as a model of what is meant to be lived out in every member's lives. And so, members of Redeemer, let's just pause here for one second. And let's just consider the degree to which genuine humility is a priority for us. 
Not in a way that we start to say, hey, this is the thing we're better at than everybody else. But just in a way that recognizes all the head knowledge in the world is no substitute for a life of genuine humility. Knowledge itself can puff up. But without love, you know what we're like? We're just like a clanging gong, a noisy cymbal. So members of Redeemer, I just want to pause here on this passage and ask us to consider to what degree does this value of genuine humility inform the way we think about our own lives and ministry to one another in this church family. Here's a second key ingredient in basic Christian ministry. Not only genuine humility, but we might say motherly love. Motherly love. Look at me again at verses 7 and following. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Here's the second key ingredient in basic Christian ministry. It's this, this thing that we might describe as motherly love. And some of us, kind of uh, as 21st century Western Christians, we might almost blush at dudes describing themselves as motherly. But this is the biblical description of how Paul and Silas and Timothy did ministry. They did ministry like a nursing mother. And so men and women alike here in this congregation, this passage isn't here just to reinforce gender stereotypes. Neither is this passage here to say we need some moms who are caring and we need some dads who are firm. This passage is here to say genuine ministers of the gospel are characterized by the same kind of gentleness and selfless, self-giving And I'm here for you night and day kind of love and affection that a mother of a newborn has for her child. That's meant to characterize everybody who's involved in Christian ministry. This kind of motherly love and affection. And the imagery is appropriate, right? I mean... There are some nursing moms here in this, in this gathering today. There are some who have been nursing moms or have been in a family with a nursing mom recently enough to remember how exhausting and how, how selfless and how self-giving it really is. But the picture works, right? A mom of a newborn, it, she'll wake up like in the middle of the night. You call me at 3 a.m., I'm probably not waking up for you, to be honest, right? And if I do, I'm probably cranky. But a mother of a newborn, she'll wake up at 3 a.m. gladly to feed her child. Why? Because she is so full of affection for that newborn child. She'll do anything, even wake up at 3 a.m. And what she does for that child is she gives... Everything. She shares her very life. I mean, Paul pictures other members of the church as kind of 
crawling up into one of those mama sling things, right? Those mama sling things where it's like, wherever I go, you're with me. And some of us, we have like this American personal space issue thing, right? And we're just like, I need, I have my ministry office hours and that's it. I'll be there for you at my small group for 1.5 hours, 90 minutes. That's it. In fact, I'm kind of surprised this church asked for 90 minutes instead of 60, right? We've got this kind of professionalized idea of ministry where it's like, I'll give you X amount of time and beyond that, that's all. But the picture of Christian ministry that comes out of 1 Thessalonians 2 is something different. It's a picture of motherly love, selflessness. I'm here for you. You can crawl up in a sling and ride around with me wherever I go. Now, I'm not saying there's no boundaries in life and you never get an evening to have a meal by yourself or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a kind of concern A kind of love and affection that is meant to characterize the family of Jesus Christ. There's a kind of affection that's meant to be in your heart toward other people here in this room. That would say to them, I want to share with you not only the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I'm eager to share my very life with you. I'm eager to share with you The small details of life. I'm eager to invite you into those places where I typically haven't invited other people into from time to time. I'll meet you where you are. Even when it feels a bit inconvenient for me. There's this kind of motherly affection Gentleness is the word that Paul uses in verse 7. We were gentle among you. There's this kind of selfless, self-giving love like a mother for her child that is meant to characterize all of us in the church toward one another. But I'm going to move on here to a third ingredient and then we'll pause and consider them together. A third ingredient in basic Christian ministry is this. It's this, it's this next issue of fatherly intentionality. The ministry team, after using the picture of a mother's love for a newborn, shifts gears, shifts pictures of ministry and goes next into this issue of fatherly intentionality. Look with me again at verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. In other words, just as a father not only instructs his kids, but sets an example for kids in the household, so Christian ministers, those involved in Christian ministry, all of us in the church, are meant to live in a way that sets an observable example for others. Verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. You notice that fatherly intentionality that This ministry team is drawing attention to. And it's interesting how these two things work together, right? A mother's gentleness 
and the Father's intentionality combined together in one integrated ministry, right? A ministry in which we not only accept one another, but we also encourage one another to go further. And a ministry in which we're not only all about telling people where they should be, but there's also a gentleness and a tenderness that says, I'm here for you right now with your needs right where you are today. Motherly tenderness, motherly gentleness, motherly love combined with fatherly intentionality in Christian ministry is the way that is the way that it is designed by our Lord to work. I've shared with you this story before, but here's a story written by a single mom about a time when her life was kind of blowing up. She was exploding in anger, kind of had it up to here with everything going on in life, and she kind of burst out in anger at other people. And once she'd cooled down, she discovered she had a voice message from a Christian friend. And that voice message from her Christian friend was very brief, but it said this. It said, God loves you right where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. And this single mom writes about how that was exactly what she needed. An affirmation and a kind of acceptance. God loves you right where you are. And by reaching out to her in her moment of need, this Christian friend of hers was reaching out and saying, I'm representing something of the Father's accepting heart right now by reaching out to you. The Father loves you right where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. The goal isn't for you to be kind of stuck there. The goal isn't for you to be stuck in these ongoing habits that you're in. The goal is for you to move further. Right? And here's this picture in that of a Christian ministry which combines both motherly love and fatherly intentionality. And let me tell you something. We all need this kind of ministry. Sometimes we might over-genderize these ideas and think that the women need the welcome, the guys need the tough words. doesn't always work like that, does it? We all need this kind of Christian ministry which combines both. I've been mentoring friends at Wayside Cross for years, guys who just got out of prison. One of my friends was shot five times in gang-related violence in five different incidents. I'll tell you something, after years of mentoring guys like that who have been shot five times in gang violence, some of the guys who look and act toughest on the outside are guys who are crying out for a little bit of love and acceptance on the inside. And my friend would agree with that 100% if he were here today. And I can tell you that there are a lot of women in this church who, while they fully appreciate a hug, an affirmation from a friend... They'll tell you that sometimes what they need is something more than just a hug and a little bit of affirmation. They need a friend or a group of friends in their small group to come alongside them and say, what are God's kingdom goals for your life right now? God loves you right where you are through your faith in Jesus Christ. But he loves you too much to leave you right where you are. 
And so we have this picture of Christian ministry which embraces us right where we are, but this picture of Christian ministry that pushes us further and pushes us further, not just into becoming more and more like each other, but notice the size of this goal by the time we get to verse 12. We exhorted each one of you. We encouraged you. We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so as we're going to our small groups, we're not just going there and thinking to ourselves, what is it that annoys me about my friends in my small group that I got to help them with? We're going there and we're asking the question, what does it look like to help my friends take a step further into living worthy of God who has called them? What does it look like to help my friends take a step further into the kingdom of God and his ways? In Christian ministry, there's meant to be this profound and influential combination of motherly love, motherly gentleness, along with fatherly intentionality. You know, um, we do this in our new members class, so most of you have heard this before, and maybe I've done this in sermons. But this kind of thing echoes all over the Bible. We saw it a little bit in the book of Proverbs. It echoes all over the New Testament, truth and love, speaking the truth in love, so the body builds itself up, right? These ideas echo all over the Bible, apparently this combination of truth and love. Motherly gentleness and fatherly intentionality, apparently this combination is really important. And it tends to work out, though, that most of us, by personality, by cultural background, by family background, whatever it is, we probably lean in one of those directions or the other a little more instinctively, right? And so some of us just love the affirmation and gentleness side of things. And some of us love telling people what's up. And instead of just thinking, I'm a truth person, let me be a truth person, is probably a sign that you need a little love yourself. (laughs) Or instead of just thinking, you know, I'm just a welcoming person, let me just be a welcoming person. Actually, as we grow up in maturity together as a church, as you grow up in maturity in Christian ministry, there should be both of these elements, both of these attributes woven together, making each of us and all of us stronger in our ministry to one another. And so maybe it's worth evaluating it like this. Which one of these comes a little more instinctively to you? That kind of motherly gentleness or that kind of fatherly intentionality? Which of these comes a little more instinctively to you? Speaking the truth or doing it in a loving and accepting way? And let's just assume that we all have a step to go for, to go, to move forward. Let's just assume that God's word is inviting each of us to take a step further in growing in our own ministry tools so that we can be more effective in ministry ourselves. Which of these do you need to grow in at this point in time? And I would encourage you to make that a matter of prayer. Prayerful consideration before the Lord, assuming that God has more ministry in the future for you than you realize right now. I'd encourage each of you to make this an issue of prayerful consideration so that you can continue growing stronger. Maybe in issues related to marriage or parenting at home. Truth and love are both going to be necessary. 
maybe in issues of kind of your participation in small group, love and truth are both going to be necessary. Maybe it has to do with learning to mentor and help other new believers grow up in the faith. Love and truth are both going to be necessary. Maybe it has to do with going and taking a next step forward even in evangelism or other kinds of missional ministry. Love and truth are both going to be essential. How do you need to grow? Make that a matter of prayerful consideration. We've noticed three ingredients here. I want to show you one more key ingredient in basic Christianity that the missionary team describes for us here in 1 Thessalonians 2. This fourth key ingredient is this. It's a contagious confidence in God's Word. A contagious confidence in the Word of God. Look with me again, if you would, at verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of people only. We listen to people, but we don't value people's words the same way we value God's words. We thank God that you, when you heard the word, You received it from us, not as the word of people, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. Do you hear the confidence that this missionary team has in the power of God's words? In the power of God's life-changing message to get stuff done and to keep on getting stuff done in believers' lives? There's a confidence that the missionary team had in the message itself. A confidence in the message that led them to say, even if we suffer for it, we're willing to keep passing this message on because this message changed our lives. It gave us hope for that day. We wanted to give others hope for that day. There's a confidence in the word and its power to change lives that inspired this missionary team to keep on going with that message. But that confidence that they had, it went viral in the city of Thessalonica. It didn't stay with them. It spread to others who likewise gained a confidence in God's Word, who likewise gained a confidence in the life-changing power of the message of, of God and His saving grace for us. So much so, I mean, track with what goes on in this passage. There's an interesting parallelism between the way this passage begins and ends. It begins by the missionary team saying, we've suffered Because we represent the message. And they go on and they talk about that a little bit. And then this particular passage ends with them saying, and now you're suffering because you represent this message. You see, this confidence in the word of God that gave strength, persevering, enduring strength To Paul and Silas and Timothy and their missionary work, it was passed on to the members of this new local church in Thessalonica in such a way that their hearts were filled with faith toward God and hope 
and confidence even in the midst of persecution and pain. This confidence in the Word of God is not just a confidence that says, I believe everything in this book is true. Now, I believe everything in this book is true, and I'm not trying to persuade you to believe less than that. There's a kind of confidence that goes beyond that. He says, I believe that everything in this book and its message of life that is found by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is so true that even if I suffer, even if I were to die in the course of representing this king and this message in this life, it's so true that it would still be worth it, even if I were to die in the course of representing this message. That's a unique kind of confidence that these believers, that this young church has discovered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is something that is meant, and I don't say this in a way that's going to, I don't mean this just to make you feel guilty. And sometimes people use these kinds of things just to make you feel guilty, maybe that you haven't suffered enough. Or to make you feel guilty that you don't always feel confident. Or to make you feel guilty that that you've got your doubts in the back of your head. That's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying it to say that this message really is that true. The message that you received if you're a Christian is that true. The message of the hope that we have forevermore with Christ is so true that even if you were to suffer and to die in this life in the course of representing it, you'd look back and you'd say, worth it to gain Christ and to live forevermore with Him. Well, let's kind of try to tie some things together here. We began with a picture of how ministry is sometimes imagined. Sometimes ministry looks like this. You're either on the bus or you're going to get run over by the bus. That's one picture of ministry. But then there's another model of ministry. There's another way that Christian ministry can look. And that other model of ministry works more like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, church, which is already yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
And therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 11. And here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, because we have that kind of king, we have this kind of ministry. Because we have that kind of king who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Because we have that kind of king who endured anything in obedience to the Father, who willingly gave Himself for the sake of others, all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross, because we have that kind of King, we have this kind of ministry. The way we proclaim the Gospel is meant to match the truth and the power of And the beauty of the gospel we proclaim. I want to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward.